3: Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 130. Nice round number wow. 130 of Real wow. Blend, a podcast that would like to know Russell Crowe's favorite Disney princess. My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing director here at Cinema Blend. Uh, as you can see, if you're watching the YouTube version of the show, I'm wearing my Kill Bill Volume 1. Tele- uh, t- uh, t-shirt. Because, but uh, uh, what
4: people can't see is yeah. that it's only half a shirt. And it's actually a crop top, and it stops <laughs> right below the frame <laughs> so Nobody that, so that your that. beautiful wash- washboard abs can be seen <laughs> by all.
3: <laughs> Fairly certain I never had those, but thank you very much. Uh, this week, we are going to be catching up with some very big news, uh, things that happened right after we recorded the previous episode of Real Blend, including uh, Mulan moving to Disney+, and then Judd Apatow, the great... Judd Apatow is going to be joining us as our guest this week. Uh, We're talking the King of Staten Island coming to uh, digital and home video. And um, and then we get into a lot of really great stuff from his filmography. But before we get there, uh, joining me as always is Jake Hamilton from Fox 32 in Chicago. Hi, Jakey.
4: I felt so you legitimately tweeted earlier today, like big guest on the show today. Yeah. And I kind of like sarcastically, but also not tweeted back
2: like, who is it? I forgot we had on the well, show. Well, we did it to be fair. And we yeah, did we it did like it a week while ago. ago. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And,
4: and, uh, and, and, and the time is a blur. I keep thinking today's we're recording this on a Wednesday. I keep thinking it's Thursday. Like, I, I don't I don't know.
3: Now I gotta ask, too, in the third chair, producer Gabe. Yeah, Gabe, are you gonna be on Hello. video? Yeah. You, you'll be on How's video today. Yeah, yeah, that's outstanding. So Kevin the McCarthy the face. of Fox Five in Washington D.C. is on vacation, and Gabe, who has never really done this, is stepping up to join the full show. How are you, sir? We'll
5: see how it goes. I'm good. I'm good. I will say Kevin is technically on the show this week yes. because he did do the Judd Apatow interview. So if you feel like you're missing Kevin, as we are. He'll still, he'll still be here
3: we, later. We also think he's going to be sending us a blend game.
5: Um, he's supposed to. Hashtag yes. if it happens. Hashtag, with our hashtag our if stuff. it
4: happens.
3: Because <laughs> <laughs> later on on the show, we're going to be playing uh, Regina King blend. And we yes. opened it up because of her amazing work across multiple mediums. Uh, we allowed people to pick from film and television. Uh, so we will get to that later on in the show. Plugs, which we always do at the top of each uh, episode. We have a brand new sort of a uh, YouTube channel that we are asking people to go over and to subscribe to Gabe. Why don't you weigh in? Cause we actually have two, do, do we not?
5: Yes, we have two channels. You can check uh, the show notes, the description uh, to get links to those channels. So you can subscribe. Uh, the first channel is going to be just a main real blend channel. And that's where all these full episodes are going to go. So instead of on CB's channel, you can find them there. Subscribe, turn on your notifications. You'll get those. Um, and then we also are going to have a real blend clips channel, which will just be fun clips that we pull out from the show. Um, One, to help find a new audience, but also make it easier for you guys to revisit things um, and share them with friends. Um, But also, importantly, the Clips channel is going to include spoiler stuff. So every once in a while, we will interview someone, and we really need to get a couple spoiler questions in, but we can't really publish it with the interview because it's, you know, we don't want to spoil a movie for anybody. So moving forward, when we get those sort of opportunities, we'll upload those as like a separate little clip um, to share with you guys. And so you'll want to be subscribed there as well in
3: order to get all that Fun stuff. Yes, absolutely, and of course, yes. um, we are also available for you guys to download all of our episodes wherever you find your weekly podcasts, whether it be Spotify or Apple iTunes and all of that jazz. Um, before we get into our weekly poll, Jack, I want to ask you a question because you got this great uh, three-part presentation for Oliver Stone hey. that's airing on your channel, but it's also are you putting it on your YouTube channel for I people to watch?
4: Because oh. the as you saw in the video, there there's just so many like elements of music and clips that it lights up like a Christmas tree when it comes to copyright issues.
3: Oh, and the music Um, you picked is so perfect. Yeah,
4: but it's so popular. I use a lot of like '70s songs that are associated with, with Vietnam and sort of that area in which his, his book is, is focused. Um, And which I think makes it better. um, But I mean, I I tried uploading it twice to just get it to my station up to be able to air. And it, it got blocked instantly both times. Like a copyright um, infringement. Yeah, copyright. Yeah, copyright infringement. So unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to be able to upload it to uh, to YouTube. But if you follow me on Instagram at Jake's Takes, I actually just uploaded the entire 10 minute piece onto my Instagram page. Oh, as one wow.
3: post That's as cool. an
4: Instagram like TV or Instagram video.
3: You didn't do like 37 cool. story clips.
4: I did not. <laughs> I did not. But, the, 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 you know, I, I text you guys. I wanted to bring it up because if you guys are, you know, I feel like anyone who listens to this podcast uh, obviously is a fan of like behind the scenes stories and what goes into it. I'm a really big. Like, in the past couple of years, I've been getting into like books about the making of movies. I read one called uh, Space Odyssey. Uh, last year or the year before, after seeing uh, 2001 and 70 millimeter uh, here in Chicago. And it's an incredible story about Stanley Kubrick and the making of 2001. But the reason I got Oliver Stone is because he has this new book out. It's called Chasing the Light. And it doesn't cover his whole career, but it's about his early life, his time in Vietnam, his uh, early career as a screenwriter, writing Scarf- Scarface and Midnight Express, and then sort of ends as he became a director with Salvador and Platoon, and then, like that's, I mean, like honestly, he could make a sequel to this if you wanted to. It's a I was great say, read. Do you
3: think he will continue going?
4: I told him that I want him to like because I mean, I want to hear about. He he references briefly other movies like whenever he is um, working with Pacino on Scarface. They also like Pacino was the was originally going to play uh, the Tom Cruise part in Born on on Born on the Fourth of July, and it was going to be directed <laughs> by William Friedkin. What? And so they so so he taught so like and that was like in development in the late seventies. And he talks about how like he said a Pacino was incredible and like they were three weeks away from beginning filming and he said a Pacino was incredible. He said he was a little old for like the high school parts, which which Cruz was good at because he had such a baby face. But he said that from what he saw in how Cruz was going to play that role, it was going to be unbelievable. Obviously, it ended up working out because he ended up getting to direct the film a decade later and won an yeah. Oscar for directing it. Um, but a lot of stories like that. So he doesn't really go into a ton of films post-Platoon unless it's relevant to what he's talking about in mm-hmm. the moment. But if you're a fan of just reading – I mean, and he wrote – it's an autobiography, so he wrote it. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's it's a hell of a read. It's called Chasing the Light if you're a fan of it.
3: Okay. That's awesome. All right. Let's get to uh, the weekly poll. Uh, So we responded to this um, with the John Wick 4 and John Wick 5 getting greenlit and the news that they are going to film these back to back. And um, I I don't I'm going to admit personally that I'm a little bit fatigued with the John Wick franchise um, after the third one. You're telling me. So Gabe did a supercut of every I've done a couple. (laughs) Those are great, though. Those are I'm I I don't say I am proud of them. them.
4: But, yeah. but damn,
5: man, uh, they're they're tedious, <laughs> but I am proud of them. They're pretty good. Like, do you they remember the count? clever cuts? Do you remember the count? Uh, two hundred and eighty something, I think maybe. All right. So Gabe, Gabe making... is
4: not as much of a like a showboat as I am. Like I like I, I do anything professionally and I send it to everyone else in the real blend thread. <laughs> like, guys, watch, Stop what you're doing and watch this right now. This yeah. is one of the few moments where I felt like Gabe actually sent us something. And I remember thinking like, yeah. He doesn't send us things that he does like this must be. And it was it was incredible. If you haven't seen it, it's incredible. But I remember thinking, like, he must be proud of this because he sent it to us and he doesn't send us. And he's not like like, I I sneeze. And if I catch it on video, I send it to these guys.
5: (laughs) It's cool. If you like uh, not to plug a video I did, but please uh, do it. If you like if you like the John Wick movies, um, I had a lot of fun doing it. I mean, it was like really stressful at the time, but I've had a lot of fun doing it because I get to come up with like weird little, um, very movie technique like editing stuff to try to just compress like one kill into the other, and I try to make it seamless. So it was fun. I learned a lot about editing, making
4: those. So are that's you, kind of. Are you right. gonna have to yeah, much, continue yeah. it whenever four and five come out? Probably. Of course. I imagine. Well, and yeah, I was gonna course. say to maintain
3: our our thread for this week's episode, we also got copyright infringement dinged for that, didn't we? <laughs> Did oh, you really? Yeah. Oh, as soon as we posted <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. As
5: soon as we posted Immediately. it. Immediately.
3: Which I don't understand. I was like, whatever. Again, we're only promoting these John Wick yeah. films. Yeah. By by listing that. So uh all right, I'm gonna have Jay am gonna have uh Gabe pick this uh weekly poll, since he's participating. This is so uh, fun
5: having Gabe oh, here. Gabe, when I, I put it in here, I know what it is. Oh you did. I, i'm true. still producing the show that's, <laughs> that's true i didn't it's, hire somebody it's this not week
3: nearly as much fun See, the, the beauty of jake and kevin is they don't do anything for the show prior no, to just no, showing it's up it's true yeah and so we you're get welcome surprise <laughs> <them>. <laughs> so uh jake of the three characters that we listed because then we gave people an other the question was what role will you most remember keanu reeves for uh you got ted theodore logan mm-hmm. you got john wick and you got Neo. Which of those three do you think won?
4: I feel like it's got to be Neo. I feel like Neo by a landslide.
3: It was Neo by a landslide. Yeah. yeah. And um, 55% John Wick got 34%. And then 3.7% went to Ted.
4: Well, Neo. I mean, uh, here, I mean, and I feel like, and, and he's a friend of the show and he's, he's a friend of ours. But the, if you haven't seen it, the interview viral moment with MTV's Josh Horowitz, oh, in yeah. which he's interviewing... Uh, Keanu Reeves and says something about playing Bill and Keanu Reeves says I play Ted I feel like that is a perfect (laughs) summation of the fact that like it's that character which is sort of how I'm kind of curious as to what the reaction whenever 3 comes out is like is that like aside from knowing that Bill and Ted are, are, are two movie characters and kind of knowing like sort of their bit yeah. Does the average audience, does the average moviegoer really know that much about Bill? Like, honestly, like before I watch, I got to go back and watch one and two. Same. I haven't seen them in probably Same. 20
5: years. I'll admit when I saw the poll go up, I went, Ted Logan. I go, who
3: is Ted? And I was okay. like, oh, there you Ted, go. Ted Logan. Like I, yeah.
5: I, the last name, I didn't yeah. know that yeah. was his last
3: name. I couldn't have told you. Well, that. I'll tell you really funny putting the poll together. I put Ted Logan and John Wick first. And then I was like, let me go to his IMDb and make sure I'm not missing anybody. <laughs> but I, you didn't, <laughs> but you wouldn't put speed on there? Uh, I was going to put Speed as a Johnny Utah? Johnny, Johnny, Johnny Utah, Utah was another big one that people mentioned. But you went with Ted Logan. I did. Yeah, well, I mean, He's got a, Billy coming Ted's out. coming yeah, up. that's fair. I'm yeah, that's trying fair. to stay relevant. Yeah, well, we're not yeah, getting sure. him for the show, so. We certainly are not. <laughs>
4: <laughs> um, it's so, it's
3: so, anyway, amazing but, how
4: quickly I turn against people when they don't want to <laughs> talk to us.
3: But, Jake, I'll tell you who we are getting for the show. Uh, John Apatow, the director Hot of down. The King of Staten Island. Hashtag uh, it happened. Uh train wrecked. The f- train wreck? Train wreck. Train wreck. The 40-year-old virgin. Uh I didn't realize he didn't write train wreck. I just assumed he was a writer on that one. And the writer we of heavyweights. Researching, yes, as well. Uh too. And and, and a teller of some amazing, amazing yes. stories. Uh this is a really fun interview from the point of we go through the King of Staten Island stuff. We got some really interesting stories out of him from there. And then he just decided to hang around and and sort of walk through his career, uh, highlights of different uh, things that we love from his career, things that he wanted to share. He tells an amazing story about a trip to Las Vegas. You guys are, have to hear it Are we posting one.
4: video? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh. So I, I, want <laughs> you, I, I want you guys, okay. if you're watching the video of the interview, I want to see if you can find a moment where oh. Gabe and I both individually thought the same thing. Because obviously, at the, at, you know, when we're all doing this, We're not talking to each other. We're talking to Judd, and there's a moment in in the interview.
3: Oh, I know you. Where
4: (laughs) Gabe and I both thought that Judd Apatow was about to pull out a fake penis. And I want, Dave, I challenge you to find the moments. Challenge. Ch- I, I don't know. I don't know if it'll be easy. I mean, you can, you can, uh, you can pinpoint the area of the interview because it's the oh, moment in which yeah, we're yeah, talking yeah. about fake penises. Yes. But there's a moment <laughs> around there where we like, we Gabe and I both had this thought where we both. I don't know. I don't know if you can tell in the video if we like light up. But there's a moment where at I, least I genuinely think like, oh my god, like he's about to like he has one in yeah. his office. He's about to pull it out, and and Gabe right. thought the same thing. Well, you're giving it I 100% thought
5: the same thing. I don't remember. I just cut that video. Um, I don't I wasn't. Looking Sean, at you face. didn't don't think don't that
3: remember. at all. Um, No, because but I want to give it away. OK. Let's, all right. Yeah. Right, yeah let's let's that is a, a tease. That is a tease. So here's yeah. our interview. Yeah. Uh, the real blend interview with the king of Staten Island director, Judd Apatow. Judd, we're a filmmakers podcast. We have loved tracking your progression uh, over the, the years and seeing how you've uh, evolved from film to film. I would love to know something that you feel like you are much better at now as a filmmaker mm-hmm. uh, than you were when you directed 40-Year-Old Virgin.
1: Well, that is a good question. I mean, I was so terrified when I did 40-Year-Old Virgin. I, I I, I would be so miserable for the whole first half of the day. I remember my line producer, Clayton Townsend, was like, you're so miserable in the morning. And I was like, it's because I'm so scared. It's just not going to come together. It's not going to happen the way we want it to And then the second I realize, oh, the scene is good, I just kind of let down and and relax. So I I feel like on Mm -hmm. some level I'm slightly more emotionally mature on the set in terms of understanding how it will go in terms of Mm -hmm. we'll do our rehearsal, we'll realize what's wrong, we'll go to the trailer and try to come up with something that might (laughs) fix it, and we know how many takes we do and where we're going to improvise, and we have our notes, like, all my systems for bringing all the ideas from the last three years of writing to the set on the day we shoot the scene and knowing how to use them uh, are pretty good now. Uh, but mm-hmm. in the beginning, it was chaos. Uh, and I remember we had uh, the cinematographer, Jack Green shot Before The 40-Year-Old Virgin and he had just done Unforgiven and he would do a lot of <laughs> Clint Eastwood movies. And Clint easily would do one take or two takes, and we're doing, like, whatever, eight, nine, ten takes with massive amounts of improv, you know, like running out, you know, um, the the mag every time. And I remember his crew just looking at us like, what are you fucking idiots doing? (laughs) What is all this babbling? Clint, Clint would have gotten this done and literally... 90 seconds.
4: <laughs> to be fair, the Clint was trying to get to golf.
1: He was just trying yeah. to get through. He had he had a tea time and he had to hit yeah. it. Yeah.
2: You know, uh Judd, when I last spoke with you for this film, actually, you told me a great story about the Steve Buscemi line in regards to the heroes line, coming from a therapy session that you were in. And yeah. I wanted to take a deeper dive with you about exactly. how therapy has shaped your storytelling in regards to um, I guess this is a two-part question. The first part of it would be what Questions were you asking your therapist that led to that that helped you understand Pete's story more? And Then the second part of the question would be like what other movies uh, moments from your films have come from therapy? So I guess I'll start yeah. first with kind of how the the Pete Davidson hero element came about in therapy
1: How that came about is I felt concerned through the entire process about Pete's mental health uh Because we were talking about his father dying and we were going very uh, deep into how it made him feel, all of his pain, how he expressed that pain. And I didn't want the process of shooting the movie to be unpleasant for him. And I was just talking to my therapist about how do I treat Pete well? Mm. How do I respect him? How, How can I be tuned into what is appropriate and inappropriate in how I work with him on something that's very difficult. You know, we shot a scene at a, a fire and I knew mm-hmm. Pete had never gone to a fire and watched firefighters put out a fire. And I thought, well, that's, that's probably very triggering to do that. Yeah. A- and I, I did want to make sure that he would have a positive cathartic experience. And what we talked about, was the fact that Pete's dad you know, is a hero and that there's something that you cannot solve about the issue that sometimes heroes die. And when they die, they leave behind wreckage. Mm. But the world needs heroes. The world cannot survive without the people who will run in the building that's on fire and save you. They're essential. And heroes shouldn't be allowed to have families. Mm. Can't take that away from them. And so what my therapist was trying to tell me is there's no easy, logical solution to that. It's just one of those things you accept. My dad was this special person who was there for a lot of people. And in this circumstance, he lost his life. And I'm sorry it happened, but he was that guy. He needed to be that guy. He needed to be the person that was there for everybody. And there's no cleanup for it, is what he was saying. It's just tragic. And he wasn't pitching it to me for me to take some of that language and put it in the movie. He was just trying to help me help Pete. And then it slowly occurred to me as we were writing well, this is what Pete is struggling with on some level, which is, what does it mean that my dad was willing to die for other people? Mm. And what does it mean that he didn't make a choice to never put himself at risk so he could be here for me? That, that's something that a, a child would not understand. You know, did you choose saving people over me? Mm. And I think that the process of making this movie And talking about it constantly for years helped Pete understand how incredible a person his father was, which he always knew, but that also that he had to be this guy, you know, and that it's okay. And he still, you know, loves his family and and, and it doesn't mean anything like dad didn't care about us. These aren't the words that Pete would have put to it, but it's what I was inferring from spending an enormous amount of time from him, uh, an enormous amount of time with him. Because when I first met him, he would say, he was mad at firefighters because why would you take a job where you might be taken away from your family? You know, so if, you have, if you're going to have kids, be a dentist, <laughs> be a librarian. And he went on this run and I realized, oh, he's not joking. This is how like young Pete, felt uh you know he that rant was the movie and and it occurred to me oh that's what the movie's about it's about him realizing that that point of view is not correct
4: yeah Uh, judd i want to talk about to that point how personal this was for pete and i feel like i can ask this question because of how good the reviews for this movie were but i want to talk about the risk Uh, Because it's always there you know. whenever you make a movie, the risk of negative reviews whenever you're tackling a story that's so personal for someone else. Because if this movie, it wasn't, but if it had been ripped apart, we're talking about a story that's incredibly personal to Pete Davidson being trashed by a bunch of critics online who've never experienced what he's gone through. Are you ever hesitant to take on personal topics that are personal to someone else because of the risk of if it goes poorly and the film doesn't work out, you're not going to be the only person that's hurt by that outcome?
1: I'm terrified the entire time. I mean, it's certainly some of the fuel in my tank, uh, which is, can I do this in a way where the movie comes out well and Pete finds it to be a positive experience? That's my goal. Can, uh, you know, Camille and Emily feel like they honored their story by making a, you know partially fictionalized version of it i mean Kumail was writing about his parents uh you know emily's parents were really super fictionalized but it, it was uh you know fictionalized for camille but not all of it and so we we knew uh, you know we have to get this right you never want like everyone's family to hate them because you made a movie and i felt that way on this is 40 and knocked up because you know the majority of it is fictional, fictional but you know, I've got my kids in it, I've Leslie in it, and I'm, I am talking about things which are important to us. These, these scenes may not have happened, but they're things we're thinking about, our friends are thinking about, and I want everyone to leave the process going. That was great, and I, I feel that someone cared about my experience of this, but I also want it to come out well so everyone's proud and not humiliated. I used to joke when This Is 40 came out wow, if this bombed and people hated it, that would be rough on my children. If <laughs> the whole world would, we hate your children. <laughs> uh, 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 and in a way, crashing was personal to Pete and Lena with, with girls and, and Leslie Orphan and Paul Rust with love. You know, I think the good stuff, usually you're in that dangerous territory. Mm. But I was scared. I mean, when I realized, oh, I think this worked out, I, I was I was relieved.
3: You um, you brought up Leslie. I've been lucky enough to interview her a number of times. And every single time I introduce myself, because they say yes. that I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina, <laughs> um, which is where I'm based right now, she, o- she always tells me she was trying to convince you to move yes, here. Yes, that's uh, true. When you guys film Talladega Nights. Well, the only so.
1: real... Uh experience we had fully moving somewhere to make a movie because we always try to avoid that just for the kids was Talladega Nights. So yeah. in 2005, you know, we put the kids in school there and we, and we were there for, you know, four or five months and we had the best time. And when it was over, sometimes you have such a good time, you start looking at houses <laughs> and you <laughs> think maybe life is better here. The kids seem happy. People are nicer. There's no traffic. This yeah. is, maybe this is the life we're supposed to have. And then, you know, we, we, we went back home and now anytime anything goes wrong, we're like, we should have stayed in Charlotte.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to follow up a little bit on what Jake was talking about too, because I'm fascinated by your writing process. And whenever you announce a new project, something's going to be a directorial um, effort for you. It, it seems like you shape your comedy uh, or the musical choices based on who your lead is going to be. And it might be something that Amy wrote or, or the way the Pete sort of shaped that through. Or I, it seems to me that that it it's, do you completely change your writing process when you're going to write for someone like, Seth, when you're going to write for Adam Sandler, uh, when you have to write for Pete, you know, like the idea of defining a Judd Apatow comedy is difficult to me because every time you take on a new lead, you sort of adapt and change yourself. I
1: I, I think I do. You know, when I first started out, I used to write jokes for people. So I would sit with Roseanne. I was in my early twenties and, you know, she was, you know, you know, around 40 and, I would, you know, I'd, I'd be writing like stretch marks jokes with her and <laughs> jokes about feminism. And, and so I, I became a little bit of a writing chameleon. Then I'd write for Jim Carrey and then I'd write for Gary Shandling. And that's something I learned how to do early in my career. And I think now, you know, they're the, the stories that are very personal to me, but I don't have that many personal stories. And sometimes I'm saying that someone like Pete, do you want to explore your emotional material? and And then that does define it. Oh, this is the music Pete likes. This is the rhythm of his life. This is his energy. Oh, these are the people he hangs out with. This is what Staten Island feels like. And I'm trying to be true and authentic with that. And, you know, people have seen the version for me of of Knocked Up and and, and This is 40. And, you, you know, Amy Schumer's world... Uh, you know, is you know, more funny and caustic and electric. Uh, and I, I tried to capture that energy, her, her relationship with her sister. Uh, you know, we had Brie Larson, but in real life, her, you know, her sister Kim is like hilarious mm. and a great writer. And I'm trying to capture that. So yeah, I, I do think each time I have to make some adjustment, but I, but usually you still can feel uh, whatever my thing is in it
3: there. Try and follow uh, Rich and Bonnie around for a little while. Oh boy. That Rich Voss and Bonnie
1: McFarlane. <laughs> yeah, well, you do. I mean, when I think a, a movie, what I always think is I want all those people who populated, I want the audience to think, I wish I could go home with them. There's another movie there. The You <laughs> yeah. know, the Rich Voss and Bonnie McFarland movie would be good. Yeah, yeah. Or even the lady who yells at Pete, like, when he says, Are you done eating? And she's like, yeah. Look in my mouth, I'm chewing. Like, I kinda wanna see that movie.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, s- staying within the writing realm. Um, one of the things that I found fascinating, and I'm sure this is a question you've probably been asked before, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts specifically on the state of comedy, where we're at right now, cancel culture, obviously, with all of these, you know, you go back and watch some of the scenes in super bad and, and 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 any film you know year old virgin. There are jokes in there that would not be acceptable today, um, and I'm just interested to know your thoughts on that in general. Because those movies were made at a time when those jokes were they they were fine in the sense of the time and and the, and the scale of the movie that they were in. Nowadays, you know, I was talking about Jay Baruchel the other day about Tropic Thunder. I can't believe that movie got made. You know, you think about that being possibly made today. Uh, What are your thoughts on that idea? And have you had to adjust the way you direct and the way you write based on the times? And are there jokes from those earlier films that you look back on and go, man, that would definitely not work today?
1: I I think that, you know, every time is different. And so that naturally is going to happen. I guess you could say would I do that today? And there's another question, which is, okay, I may not do that today, but do I wish I could do it today? (laughs) Right? Like, like, do I still think that works and is funny, but it might offend someone else's sensibilities, but I'm still comfortable with it. Right? So, you know, if you talk about something like super bad, you know, super bad was about learning how to respect women and the path was by being really immature. So it starts out with like, you know, we can be that mistake, right? And it was like, they just wanna have sex, high school's ending, they're about to go to college, they feel like they didn't get enough experience. And slowly throughout the movie, you realize, oh, this isn't even about women, it's about two guys that hung out so much, and now they're going to different colleges, and they're afraid of separating. And, and, And it's being expressed as a frantic search for women But really, it's about, oh, no, I'm not going to get to be with you. Mm. Uh, And also, I gave up most of my time to this relationship with you. I didn't focus on women. I didn't learn how to talk to them and be a boyfriend and have a healthy relationship. So, you know, at the end of that movie, what happens? They both have an opportunity to fool around with these girls. And it just goes horribly awry (laughs) because they're not being respectful. So at the end, they bump into the, the, these them at the mall, you know, um, and they try on pants with them. And suddenly the girls like them because they're being nice and sweet, trying on slacks, right? <laughs> like that's the point of the movie, which is if you're a nice, normal, sweet, kind person, people will like you, women will like you. That's a healthy relationship. But the the outrageousness of the comedy is how wrong they have it mm. at the beginning and the beating they need to take to get it. And so it would be sad if in the future you can't show immaturity. Mm. You can't show people make mistakes. You can't show people in the way they actually behave. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know if I, if I went around with Superbad today, if people would go, you can't do that now. Maybe they would make it, maybe they wouldn't. I, I, I don't know. But I know I'm proud of what it says. And I know that there's probably a lot of young men, there's not a lot of messages for young men about don't be a pig with women, be respectful. Uh, and I do think the movie in its sly way is saying if you're not respectful, nothing good's going to happen. It, it, your life is going to be a disaster. You're just going to be fighting with Clem, the homeless man, on the bus,
4: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, Jud, speaking of sort of of those ideas of timestamps, you've always included like really topical and of the moment sort of pop culture references. And this is forty. I think your daughter's watching Lost, which is my favorite show of all You're time. Just... Um, I think at some point they talk about uh, in this movie they talk about Game of Thrones. I was trying to think. Knocked up? Don't they talk about Spider Man? Or am I confusing that? Yes, with...
1: Leslie yeah. says. Uh... You know, he went to, to Spider-Man without her. <laughs> right, exactly. And, so
4: I was wondering, and I, I love sort of these pop culture timestamps, especially <laughs> when you go back and rewatch the movie um, years later. But is there ever that moment of like, wow, this really cements it in a moment of time, especially like something like Lost, which at this point has been over for yeah. 10 years?
1: I feel like it just has the work, whether or not uh, it's a current reference. There are certainly movies where we go overboard with the reference jokes and we do debate for certain projects whether or not we should try to remove all of them. And like, should this be timeless? I think The Big Sick is a movie where we made a point to not lean uh, on those types of references. We go at it really hard and knocked up Mm -hmm. uh, because they have a website where they show uh, all the nude scenes uh, in movies. And... For that one, we just debated what would be the most famous ones that in 10, 20 years people would still remember. Mm. And hopefully the (laughs) joke is good enough that it doesn't matter. But I do liken it a little bit to Freaks and Geeks, you know, because it was a period piece, they could talk about Steve Martin and The Jerk. Uh, and it felt right. That's what they would talk about then. And I hate to say it, but every movie I make at some point is a period piece. <laughs> <laughs>
3: so, even
1: though I'm doing it in present time, at some point it's retro, yeah. like freaks and Gigs.
3: Yeah. Uh, Jed, we weren't able to talk about this the first time around, but now I can ask you about your final scene uh, in King of Staten Island, which is really beautiful and caught me off guard because I didn't think this is when the story was going to end. Yes. And so I would love for you to just talk about how you came around to, to realizing that that was going to be where you ended it. At what point in the process did you yeah. think, okay, well, when I bring him here to Manhattan, this is where I'm going to well, leave I'll... him? Because it feels to me almost like a beginning for the character. Well, I'll
1: say Spoiler alert for anybody who uh, wants yeah, to pause true. for a little while. Uh, <laughs> but uh, basically, I wasn't sure how to end the movie. I shot several endings, and I put them all on the digital and Blu-ray release, so you can see all the ways I did it wrong. So <laughs> there was an ending. There was an ending I shot at the same time where you see Pete doing career day at the preschool of Burr's kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then slowly you realize, oh, Pete works at the school now. He's like the teacher's uh-huh. assistant to their teacher who we met earlier. Mm-hmm. And we shot it, and it seemed really fun. And then in post, we were like, this is terrible. <laughs> 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 at all. Well, yeah. I actually like that idea. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, it, kinda, it made sense. I, I like the idea that people f- would think, is he going to become a firefighter at the end of this movie? And then you're like, oh, no. He does something that's of service to other people, but it's the fact that you've learned that he's just really good with kids.
5: Mm.
6: But,
1: but it, it didn't feel right when we edited the movie. I shot another ending moment where you see Maude back home with the family. Bill Burr is there. They're all eating breakfast. They're talking about their day. It's six months later. You realize that Pete is going to art school to learn how to be a better tattoo artist. and you just see that they're a family and it's just kind of like normal and they're happy and bill fits in and they're all chatting. And then Pete takes out all these drawings he's working on in art class. And one's like of a horse. And Marissa Tomei is like, that really looks like a horse. And, uh, <laughs> and then he takes out some you know, pictures of naked men. Like they're drawing, you know, nudes. And Bill Burr is like, yeah, that's a good looking cock there. That's a- <laughs> jump <laughs> off the page and poke me in the eye. And, and uh, it was like a funny, sweet scene where they call back the cat, Ricky Villas' cat. And, mm-hmm. and Pete says to Mon, do uh, you want to come with me to feed Oscar's cat? And she's like, no, I'm not going to that place. And he's like, I, he's like, I don't go in. I just throw it through the window. you know." And uh, again, didn't work at all. wasn't wasn't right. With the one that we used, I knew I wanted to do that scene. I didn't know if it would be the very last scene. My daughter, who was 16 at the time, Iris, I kept asking her to read drafts um, as a way to teach her about film. I just had to read all the drafts and I tried to talk to her about the work I was doing. And she kept saying, yeah, no one cares about anything but the couple. They don't care. All they care about is the relationship with Belle Polly." And she said that during the script. She's like, you need a great end to the relationship. And I'm like, well, I kind of think people care about his relationship with his mom and Bill Burn, and she's like they don't care it's all about the girl <laughs> <laughs> all about the relationship and she's and right so, she's right so we were scouting and I was like I didn't think this scene should be the last scene but Iris keeps yelling at me telling me this is all anyone's gonna care about and that they're gonna want this scene to be the ending and and so it's supposed to be she walks in to take her test to work for the city and I'm looking around and and I go, oh, my God, that's where the Twin Towers were. Mm. I just, like, looked up. I'm like, oh, Jesus, that's crazy. Oh, there's the Freedom Tower, and it's, like, poking out from behind a building. So it's not really obvious. And maybe 80% of the people who watch the movie don't even catch that that's where he is, which mm. I like. And then we just started thinking, well, how do we shoot this? And, and it just occurred to us, well, maybe she walks in, and he just, like, looks around the city, and you could... And the moment I thought a lot about the ending of The Graduate, uh, Mm -hmm. just now what? And and I shot it a bunch of different ways and there was some versions of it where Pete like kind of covered his, shaded his eyes from the sun and then the movie ended and for some reason that bothered the audience because it was weaker. And then I found a take where he didn't shade his eyes and he just looks around with a little more like hope, like he's like, Maybe I'll enter the city as a metaphor for maybe I'll take a chance. I have a little more support. I'm feeling a little better. Maybe he's never in Manhattan in the whole movie. So the idea of even entering this space feels like hope. And then when we started testing the movie, it became clear that that should be the ending of the movie.
2: Yeah, it's that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, it's a brilliant last shot. It's funny that was the first. It it hit me. Is he geographically actually looking where the towers really were? Is he's looking
1: off, and it's like behind him. He's not looking at the towers. The towers are right, like in this. You see the Freedom Tower. Yeah, but it's behind another building
2: yeah um this is a completely strange transition but i'm gonna make it anyways um what am i i I know what he's about to ask it's the
1: (laughs) best (laughs)
2: one of my favorite movies of all time is pop star um i think that that film is just a genius film and the reason why i'm bringing that up is there are there are stories floating around that you are the guy in the limo scene um uh, with uh, and i'm I just want to know, is that true? Where did that get started? How did that even become a thing that you were that person? And like, what, what's your story surrounding that? Is, is that you for real or no?
1: I can't comment about my, <laughs> my extra work. I can't, that's, you know, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's part of, uh, of Lonely Island legends. So, <laughs> how I, did I, it I,
2: become <laughs> a legend? Like, like what, what's the story behind, uh, even if it's you or if it's not you, what's the, how did you get involved in that legendary story?
1: that scene was reshot not reshot that was from a, a, an additional shoot at the end of the movie you know uh, you know we we shot a couple of of scenes uh, to bolster some story ideas and 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 they had this hysterical you know idea that you do you know a, a goof on the woman pushing her boobs up against the glass type of A a visual that you might see in a in a silly rock star movie uh, (laughs) that a guy doesn't, you know, and uh, and we were like, this is an all or nothing joke because I've done a lot of things with penises and the audience gets really upset most of the time, which I love. Like I love that it bothers them and I want to do it even more to bother them more. And, uh, it's just so it's on screen for so long yeah. He signs it at one point
2: I, yeah. I cry time I watch it It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life
1: Yeah I mean like when we did Dewey Cox And there was this scene where he's on the phone with his wife Saying how bored he is on the road And then there's just, just naked people walking by And then a guy's <laughs> penis just appears And asks him if he wants some coffee <laughs> You know we, That made us laugh so hard um, And uh, I don't think it's the public thing, but the guy who did that is now a famous director, but I can't, I can't, I I don't know if he talks about it publicly uh, at this point, Uh, but he said to me. The
4: guy that did that. That that penis, that penis. And Dewey Cox?
1: In Dewey Cox is now a famous it's director. Spielberg,
4: isn't it? <laughs> yes,
1: it is, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and he walked up to me at the Directors Guild Awards, which I was hosting, and, and he said, you know, I know it sounds crazy, but I learned so much that day watching you guys improvise and talk and getting to hear your debates about how to do the scene. Uh, <laughs> but uh, none of us can comment on, on but, how,
2: that. but how? But how did you get involved in that legend of that story, though? I just want to know why your name got thrown into being
1: that guy uh they, in because the, the lonely island guys love to to talk about it they just think it's it's uh important it's to say that publicly as often as possible it's
3: not a bad rumor
4: um i do want to ask before we go about the fact that we just passed last month the 20th anniversary of the last episode of freaks and geeks which i think Ooh. is widely considered one of the greatest series of all time even though it wasn't on very long i'm just sort of curious do you ever wonder what happened to those characters, like where they would be 20 years later. And what does it mean to you to have that show have launched so many different careers?
1: You know, what's funny is I was in Las Vegas. This is, I've never told this story before, but I was in Las Vegas on a trip to see Rodney Dangerfield perform. And at the time he may have been 83. And he was still doing shows. So Adam Sandler said, let's go pay pay some respect to Rodney. So me, Adam Sandler, Carl Weathers, Covert, Brill, Brill, and Quentin Tarantino (laughs) all (laughs) all went to go see Dangerfield. And then afterwards, we like hung out with him and and uh, in an inebriated state, and had a, just a great few hours talking to Rodney, who is the reason why we love comedy so much. I remember he had a heckler that night and just destroyed him. I'm like, he's so funny. He's 83 and he's being so mean in a in a great way. <laughs> but uh, um, you know what also, I I, I said to Rodney in Dangerfield, you know, my grandmother was friends with the comedian Tody Fields, I go, did you did you like her? And he goes, she was what she was. Which I thought was the meanest thing I had ever heard. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, she was what she was. And uh and and in, in knocked up, there's a moment where uh Craig Robinson uh what does he say it is what it is? It is what it is, you know, and the other day that's what Donald Trump said. Uh, Yeah, about our current pandemic.
4: About the deaths in America.
1: You know, it's like the worst thing you ever could say as a human being on Earth. But anyway, I bumped into Feig, who was in Vegas at that time on his own trip, and we were like, we should probably write that episode. You know, the finale because I think we're going to get canceled soon. So, Paul, Mm -hmm. maybe you should write and direct that last episode, and we'll shoot it in the middle of the season because I think we're going to get canceled at any second. So, let's just see if we can. Come up with something that will be uh, a a good ending that we could jump to this episode from any episode and have a conclusion because I hate the idea of no Mm. uh, resolution for a a series of television or series. Mm. And we were like, where what would happen to her? You know, what would happen to Lindsay? Like, what do we do? And I was like, I think she becomes a deadhead, right? Doesn't that seem like the path of that girl? Like a girl who's like both a mathlete and into the potheads like it's a deadhead kind of a situation right and 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 paul wrote the most brilliant draft it really was incredible and he directed it and it was the first episode of the show he had directed he had never directed the television before he had just done one uh independent film that he had made with his own money and i never gave him the okay to direct a lot because he was the the best writer of the show. He was the visionary writer of everything. And I thought, I don't want Paul to disappear for weeks into directing because Mm -hmm. I knew that the writing would suffer in a massive way if that's where his time was spent. Mm -hmm. But I also felt guilty about it because I knew I knew that he would be a great director. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then he made just one of the best episodes ever on television uh, with that episode. And so I never really think about what would happen to it because I think Paul, he, he did something that's so perfect, I don't even want to consider the next day. It, it, it just, it lands there for me. God,
2: I, I know we're at the yeah, end, awesome. but I, I, I can't not ask you why Tarantino
1: was with you. He was in Little Nicky with Sandler, oh, and, 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 and they are friends. Oh. And uh, so we <laughs> all went to, together. That's, and it was,
2: that's the best story.
1: I have a great, <laughs> I have a great photo of the group, and it's pretty good. It's a pretty like, uh, you know, it's when so you've static. got, uh, you know, Carl Weathers also in that because he he, he was. That, that's like incredible. that story
4: that what was the the story that like Marlon Brando, Michael Jackson, and Elizabeth Taylor like all got a, a car, car together. And, like took a road trip like it's like the most interesting group of people that you wouldn't necessarily expect would all be together at one time every
1: once in a while something like that happens and you laugh yeah. and like when we did the ben stiller show one day at lunch we had all the guest stars who were doing this this sketch with us and so i'm like at lunch with uh mickey dolan's rip taylor and susan Anti. <laughs>
6: <laughs> it,
1: it, it was incredible <laughs>
3: <laughs> i just want to say early on in the in the history of this show we would uh break each other's balls if we name dropped anybody you have elevated the bar terms, i knew it with one answer but it was a
1: time before like photos uh you know there was no camera on the phone so like no proof exists of that and, oh, and, and okay. it hurts me to this day
2: oh, like, you've seen you've it. seen this Judd, right
1: Oh, the, it's fantastic. Uh, yes. I, the, I, the the drawing, the the painting on the Popstar Blu-ray is, is incredible.
2: Oh, one of the greatest movies yeah.
1: ever made, man. And what? there's like extended versions of a, a lot of this stuff. Yeah, the Blu-ray of Popstar and, and Walk Hard have so many, you know, additional songs and and scenes. So I I always encourage people to to look at that.
3: All right, well, I know we're running out of time, but Judd, thank you so much for joining us. I want to let everybody know we've been talking about King of Staten Island since it reached digital. It's going to be coming to more digital platforms on Tuesday, August 11th, then the traditional Blu-ray and DVD on August 25th. Judd, honestly, thank you so much for oh, joining us. Oh, my pleasure. It was a blast. Nice talking you to you, enjoyed
1: it. Take care.
3: We want to thank Universal Studios for giving us time with Judd Aptat. We want to thank Judd, obviously, for coming on the show, and, uh, and thank you guys for listening to our interview with Judd.
5: This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force,
3: All right, let's get to talking points. So, um, right after we recorded episode number one hundred and twenty-nine, some pretty uh, industry-shattering news dropped. I think so. Anyway, don't you I mean, sort of feel massive. like everyone in
4: Hollywood is just waiting until we record, and they're like, "All right, guys, drop the news." Yeah. They've that, recorded for the week. Drop the news. It happens. We gotta
5: start lying on social. Just tweet like, "Hey, we're recording yeah.
4: right right now. now." So if you have any news, on like Monday evening, <laughs> and all what? of a And on hbo max literally
3: gabe is saying like gabe was saying like this week we cannot record on a monday because there's just so much stuff that could potentially happen so it it is better when we record midweek but we're talking about mulan we're talking about mulan going to disney plus but not just arriving on disney plus but them setting up a premium option uh for this rental and it's going to be 29.99 the price point uh, of mulan is 30 dollars which again Gabe makes that face. He's generally right. I guess you can make the argument it's a family film if you're paying for four people to go to the movies versus four people to be at home to watch it. You could argue that price point is a little bit more, uh, but but it's the idea of making it, yes, we're going to put it on Disney+, Plus, but we're going to make you pay a little bit extra in addition to your monthly subscription. Uh, This is one of the big titles that whenever we were discussing movies going to streaming, King of Staten Island being one of them, that made an announcement pretty early on. We were always like, yeah, but... Tenet, Mulan, Tenet, Mulan, Tenet, Mulan. And then Mulan now decides it's going to go. I don't think Nolan will ever um, allow Warner Brothers to do that. But but um, let me ask, let me phrase it this way. So now that we know Mulan is coming, do you think that will open the door for more films of that size? Now I'm talking like, is Black Widow going to be next? Yeah. Is Wonder Woman going to make that jump? Do you see more films like that that don't have a Nolan behind them pushing for theatrical uh, to go that, or is this going to be a one-off?
4: Well, I honestly, I think all eyes are going to be on Mulan. Obviously, everyone's going to be watching to see. And I'll be curious to see if they are going to reveal how much money they've made off of this or if they're going to be a little bit more uh, closeted. Because I feel like, like they haven't even released Hamilton numbers to talk about how many people have watched Hamilton, which mm-hmm. is either they're being secretive or it's not as many as we think. But I feel like it's a lot because I feel like everyone was talking about it. Um, but yeah, I, my like,
3: point being, they'll they'll announce it if they do
4: well. <laughs> exactly, exa- yeah. exactly, Which is always how I feel about Netflix too. Like Netflix is very picky, choosy about uh, the the information they release. But I did see a statistic about the number of subscribers that Disney Plus has, and it's it's millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of subscribers mm-hmm. that this app has, this streaming service. And then they broke down the percentage of like, okay, if thirty percent of these subscribers, I can't remember what the number is. I want to say it's like ninety million, but that seems high. But I want to I say, I think it was. I think I saw a hundred million. Okay, so like, let's say two hundred. I honestly it's there. think I saw. I'll check. So, so if 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 twenty five percent, if a quarter of the subscribers pay the thirty million, or I'm sorry, thirty million, the, the thirty dollars, mm-hmm. it still rakes in. Then Mulan at that point, I think makes oh, I, I, over like a hundred million dollars. This one like, says
3: fifty million subscribers
4: for that. Okay, or, well, well, the the, the percentage they, they start breaking down. Like, what is the percentage it would take to get you know? It, it, it's not. It, it's not that much. Uh, that, that, not that big of a uh, percentage of subscribers to cross the hundred million dollar mark. It really wasn't that much of a percentage mark to cross the $200 million mark. And it doesn't seem to me out of the realm of possibility that if you already have Disney plus, you know, at this point, you're probably still trying to keep your kids entertained. Kids are going back to school like 30 bucks. Like, you know, I, I, I think people are starting to come around to the rationale of, yeah, okay. 30 bucks is a lot cheaper than if we took all six of us out to the movies. Sure.
3: And, um, I had a point. I was just gonna make a point. <laughs> I swear to God. Uh fifty million subscribers. I was going for the thing. Oh, I don't even remember. I just saw that it got you. updated. So out.
5: it was fifty million in like the beginning of May. Oh, um but know, last oh, week. But Hamilton did it out. to Yeah, it's a little bit over 60 million. Now. Okay. This is the point recording. that
3: I was trying to make, uh or wanted to make. So Mulan, even if it does a fraction of the subscribers that actually pay the thirty dollars and it starts to make some money. It's it'll make more money than than it's making right now, which is zero, right? Yeah. And the argument is always like, sure, but wait for it to come to theaters. But here's why I think that doesn't work for Disney. Disney has so many other movies coming that like Paramount can wait for Quiet Place, you know, because they don't have 15 other movies behind it on their slate yeah. necessarily. Disney, if it if it waits for one other movie to drop, it, it affects, I think, the release schedule of so many well, especially other especially Marvel. Yeah, exactly. Well, Mar- yeah, Marvel can't really drop them out of order. Yeah, um, yeah. And um, Disney always feels like it's competing with itself to find weekends where they're not going to put out a blockbuster that's going to compete with one of their yeah. other blockbusters. Yeah. So I think it just felt like it was time for them to put it yeah. on there. And um, I don't know, I would rent it. I'm going to, I'm probably yeah. going to rent it because I'm starving for new content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's part of it. But I honestly,
5: I think the difference between a Black Widow or um like a Wonder Woman, with uh, versus Mulan is the fact that the Chinese market is as open as it is now. Mm -hmm. Almost all their theaters are open um, and apparently doing well enough. Um, And Mulan is marketed to the Chinese market very much so. And that's a huge international market Mm -hmm. where I think that changes the numbers where they go, okay, we're going to make this in China. And then there are these other countries internationally that are going to move the needle this much. And then if we also can add this $30 per on us customers or, Wherever they're launching it on Disney Plus altogether, you know that starts to stack up. I see that, but I think with something like Black Widow that is so global that is their big benefit is releasing it everywhere. That's why everyone seems to break a new record. I I see them holding on to that for as long as they possibly can, so. uh, because I think thirty dollars for four people potentially to watch it at home uh, versus you know ten bucks to get. 100 million people to come see it in a a weekend or something like that. I think that's a big difference.
3: I tweeted this and I meant it and I kind of got ripped to shreds. I would pay $60 for Black Widow right now.
4: Why did you get ripped to shreds?
3: Because people said, well, first off, I got a lot of DC followers on my timeline (laughs) who don't like Marvel movies. Oh, Um, that's
4: so, that's so petty. Like the the, the the, the line in the sand saying that like you can enjoy one time. Like, come on, like just be a fan of good
3: movies. 100%. But then the other people said, I wouldn't pay $60 for any film necessarily. Yeah. And I don't know if that's fair. <clears throat> I have plenty of films I would pay $60 for. Yeah. Um, the thing I think that dings Mulan is that it's not new, new, like it's, yeah. it's a live action remake.
4: Yeah. We're not yeah. pressing play without knowing what's going to happen.
3: And I haven't loved the live action remakes. I'm not
4: This is the first them. one I've, I've actually been kind of excited about because they're treating it less of a live action remake and more of like a history. Because I mean, this is a true story. This is a historical yeah. like mm-hmm. story. And my understanding is they're treating it like a historical drama. I mean, they took out, like, the Talking Dragon. They took out the big musical numbers. Like, they're treating it almost like, I mean, based on the track, like a war film. Sure. Based on what I've seen. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I know we, between the three of us, like, we all know people who have seen it. I mean, I don't know if we can mm-hmm. talk about, I mean, have you heard decent things from people who have seen it? Yeah, decent things. I
3: heard it's good. I heard it's
4: good. Yeah. Your voice <laughs> went real high.
3: I <laughs> heard it's good. I'm...
5: <laughs> I I grew up uh, I grew up with the original Mulan on repeat. Um, I loved the original Mulan really? when I was a kid, and so I'm excited for it. But I don't think I'm excited enough to spend thirty dollars on it. Mm. And I'm not spending thirty dollars for a family. I'm literally spending thirty dollars for myself, and that's a hard ticket for me. Yeah, Sean, send him your screener. There
3: you go. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I don't have one. Yeah, and
5: can you send me the Snyder cut too while you have yeah, it? Yeah, no problem. Yeah.
3: Hold on. Yeah, I'll just drive it me. into I'll drag it into the Real Blend uh, file on appreciate Google you, appreciate Docs. <laughs> uh so here's our weekly tenant update. Uh tickets currently are going on sale for the film in the UK. Uh truck it along. No, but I'll say this. I, I, I do feel we're getting closer to um things being to, to new films being a reality. Uh we talked about Unhinged, the Russell Crowe film is uh, apparently opening in theaters that can be open safely on august 21st so here we're talking that's next week right that's next friday um new mutants claims it wants to be in theaters on the 28th <laughs> like sure they're releasing <laughs> posters and clips that it's coming um behind the scenes we can talk about the fact that we've been approached for a couple of press opportunities for things like Bill and Ted and the New Mutants, and we're hearing a couple of things about Tenet, so it feels a little bit like we're getting closer to things yeah. being real. Do you not feel that way? Did, am I the only one feeling that?
4: I, I think just because I'm so gun-shy about, because I felt like this has happened before, at the end oh. of June, beginning of July.
3: Go back so and I listen to all like of our episodes where we said yeah, this. Repeatedly. I feel,
4: you know, so it's sort of like, I, I, God, I, you know, so funny, because I was never this way before the show started, but I feel like I'm turning into Kevin, it's sort of like... Okay, like if it happens, yeah, like I'll believe it whenever the you know, whenever Christopher Nolan is on my screen and I'm doing a zoom or whenever I'm sitting in the the theater right outside my window and I'm like, then I'll believe it. But till then, like we've been there before and not only have we been there before, like the headlines are still the numbers are going up, but you, so we're not back in a place where I don't I don't understand how this narrative is moving forward about how movies are coming out when the narrative of, of numbers is still moving forward. For me,
5: what it feels like, because as far as I know, we don't really have like a hard number of like this many theaters are going to be open next week. Right. Like you had mentioned, there are some in your area that you heard are going to open to me. I my feeling and this is just a feeling is that it's more they're confident in the international market Mm. and they're ready to market to the international market. And it doesn't hurt. It doesn't help them to say, oh, but, you know, we're not going to do it here. They're just going to say, yeah, it's opening and it'll open in whether that's. Four thousand theaters, or it's like fourteen. Yeah, I would think that they're just going to go. I got. Let, 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 We're let open me. open everywhere else.
4: I want to read you the sort of the um, uh, email I got. So in regards to Unhinged. So Unhinged. The email is Unhinged opening in theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Advance tickets are on sale. Uh, bringing movies back into America's lives. Ex- exhibition partners around the nation have gone to extensive lengths to ensure they're... I guess it doesn't really say where it's opening, just that it's... Okay. Thank you for continued support of the theatrical experience. But yeah, I guess it doesn't really say, like, where it's opening. So
3: I'll mention this. Um, North Carolina is in phase two of its reopening, which doesn't include theaters. And we've had... Did you you, you guys roll back? No, we never jumped to three. We've had two opportunities so far to move to three, and we haven't. Um, Our governor is being cautious, and I'm thankful that he's being cautious.
4: What's that Um, like? (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, so we got an announcement about an uh, independent movie that says it's opening in Charlotte and it listed the three AMC theaters in our market that that planned to have it. Um, but then I was told by somebody who works for the Charlotte Observer here, a friend of mine, that the governor will not allow theaters to open. So that is likely not going to happen. But if the chains, if Regal and AMC and those guys announce that their locations are going to open where they can, then you may get places like Idaho, the Dakotas, you know, places where... They- <laughs> Where there aren't that huge population and they're able to open, you might get a chain that near you. So again, so where is Unhinged opening at next week? Oh, case by case basis is what I'm saying. You know, like I think South Carolina, which is literally right over the border from us, they're in a phase that would allow their theaters to open. So I bet you I could probably drive to South Carolina and see Unhinged in a theater there, but I just can't see it in North Carolina. I'll let you guys know if it's open in South Carolina. Well, maybe not Unhinged. But if uh, if they do was gonna in- say, really, they're going across inception. state lines to go see Unhinged, <laughs> if they do Inception on the big screen down there, I might go down there and say it.
4: They're only doing it inception. here in Chicago. They're literally only doing it like I, the email that I got was all, like the only one in the country Well, in 70 millimeter. Gabe, it's let me time. have this moment. Let me just let me have something that you guys don't. All right.
3: OK, but are you going to go if it's available at the music box? Music box. Is that what it's called?
4: Yeah. Music box. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. Because don't know do- of
3: Safety. Or because it's a movie you've seen and can see it at home.
4: I think here. here's what you know what? That's oh. a good point. I'm going to say it's the <laughs> latter because if it were tenant, that I would be there.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
4: yeah, 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 that's rough.
3: I I get what you're saying. Yeah. I get what you're saying, but I but I miss I miss everything that comes with going to the theater. I miss yeah. Yeah. the whole I process, really,
4: but I, I want my first one back to be ba- I would love and I, yeah. I know this is the Kevin McCarthy narrative, but I, I'm with him in that like. I kind of want my first theatrical experience back after all this to be something meaningful. Like, I wouldn't want it to be unhinged. I don't want it to be Inception. Like, I kind of want it to be Tenet, if I'm being honest with you. Mm -hmm. I want it to be, like, after everything, I want want that to be the
3: movie that literally brings me back to movie theaters. You know who else wants that? Chris Nolan. Nolan. So we'll see. Uh, Nia DaCosta. Nia DaCosta is directing the upcoming Candyman film. And I want you guys to be able to talk about... The trailer for for that yes. Candyman because I didn't see it, but um, well, it's
4: it's the not not the theatrical trailer. There was a, a sort of a very artistic trailer that came out. Gabe, would like you say like maybe like two months ago?
3: Kind yeah, of. It, it,
4: it tells the story of Candyman, kind of in a reflection of what's going on in today's world. Because I believe that this trailer came out in the shadow of everything that was going on with George Floyd, and okay. it's told using puppets and shadows, and it is one of the most incredible trailers I have ever seen in my entire life. And from what I understand, that was all her doing. So if that two-minute trailer is a reflection of not just that film, but her artistic style, Mm. give her anything and everything. Anything and everything.
3: Well, she's getting Captain Marvel, too.
4: That's why we're discussing
3: her. And there's only one direction you can go with
4: that movie, and it's up.
3: It's up. Yeah. For whatever reason, though, Captain Marvel is one of those ones that... Whenever I pull up Disney Plus, I throw on for a couple minutes. Why? I, do, I don't I'm not quite sure. I think just because it's different from all the other ones. You could yeah. watch yeah.
4: Rise of Skywalker if you wanted. Oh, to. oh I forgot I'm outnumbered.
5: Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, don't bring I that forgot.
4: Out. <laughs> I forgot. Kevin, uh, help! Gabe, you
5: haven't
3: seen Little Wood, right?
5: Uh, no. So I'm excited about Little Woods, Woods, uh, which was Woods. her first feature. Um, and I was planning on catching up on it before Candyman when, whenever that'll eventually happen. Yeah. Um, but I've heard really good things and and everyone says that she's amazing. She's, she's legit the real deal. Um, so that's so I'm her, excited that's her it.
3: debut for people who aren't yeah. familiar. And yeah. it has Tessa Thompson and.
5: Which has me excited because, because Marvel directors are so often working with their usual cast. Mm. And because Tessa Thompson's already in the MCU, I kind of love the idea of Valkyrie showing up mm. in Captain Marvel too. Um, I don't know what that means story-wise. I don't know if those two characters have ever hung out before or what that means. But I love the yeah. idea of Tessa Thompson Why not? In, in it. So, yeah, sure. yeah.
3: I, would, I would lure her into any sort of project. Yeah. So we're Especially excited. now that she she's, has a bigger role with uh, Asgard. Great. Also, it just it's one step closer to another Marvel movie feeling like, like Shang-Chi went back to filming... Yeah. eternals might be a movie from what i understand <laughs> It
6: mean, might that, exist
3: that movie should have a trailer probably at this point now i don't know what marvel's waiting for um but anyway captain marvel 2 rolling along although i think captain marvel 2 is like seven movies down on the marvel slate because if you have a third spider-man dr strange four. 2 uh, a lot of them yeah a lot of them so uh scorsese this was also huge news um martin scorsese not quite friend of the show yet but uh but a. Uh, Mount Rushmore type director for from for many of us um, has signed a first look deal with Apple TV plus. Um, is it? Well, is it Apple TV plus or just Apple the company? It's, it's Apple it's TV Apple plus. TV right? plus. Yeah. Apple TV plus.
5: Yeah, I don't know if there's a difference, but yeah,
3: he scores apparently has reached the stage of his career where um, he just needs financing. Like give that He's man a billion some dollars, <laughs> yes. Uh, this is what happened with Netflix and he the Irishman. wants
4: to redo the Irishman, but he wants to make them digitally look older. <laughs> oh,
3: <God. laughs> that's awesome. Um, he has this project that he wants to do called, um, uh, the DiCaprio. Oh, the flowers, something with flowers, yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: Oh, yeah, I always forget the name of this. I God, know. I'm Continue, so, he
3: up. was supposed to be
4: doing Devil in the White City, which would have been amazing that you have never really read good. that book oh my
3: god no, no and also, it,
4: it, it, it would have brought him to chicago i don't see how you shoot that movie not in chicago
3: wasn't he also going to do that with tom hanks wasn't tom hanks going to be I, the I architect
4: be, i thought it was dicaprio i thought dicaprio was supposed to be the killer oh interesting well dicaprio uh,
3: might have been the killer but i think tom hanks was supposed no, to be know tom hanks, the guy who designed the world fan oh, the world's my fan god.
4: and now it's now i think it's going it's going to be a series at hulu and i think Scorsese and DiCaprio producing it, but I, but I don't think, I think that's the extent of their involvement. That's
5: interesting. The, the title you guys were looking for were, was Killers of the Flower Moon. See? I knew there's something the sure. flowers. I'll never remember that. Yeah. Name. It sounds it's, very hippie dippy
3: but uh, anyway, so <laughs> the, the idea of Martin Scorsese, titan of cinema, uh, yeah. powerhouse of, of film, uh, now accepting the fact that if he's going to get the types of films he wants to get made, uh, is going to have to be going to streaming services. Truthfully, um, here's the thing. I'm okay with that because I'd rather get new Scorsese um, in some format.
4: I don't and care I, who's paying for
3: it? This might be yeah. uh, the the episode to not have Kev here um, because <laughs> I know he wouldn't agree with me on this. Um, he would fight tooth and nail for Scorsese to be able to make it theatrical. And, and I truthfully, but we don't would know like that he's that.
4: not going to theat right.
3: That's writers. what I was
5: going to say. Is do we know? Do we know if they're going to do the Netflix model? I, if you're making a Scorsese movie, you want to yeah, win an Oscar, right? I, yeah, exactly. You want to win an and Oscar, and they
4: want to compete with. You have to imagine, like they, like their biggest competitor is Netflix, and Netflix is opening up, and also now with the parent, what is it, the Paramount Accords yes. falling apart? Yep. What's to say we're not about to get Netflix movie theaters and and Apple TV Apple movie, movie theaters, theaters and like you know what's to say that that's not the direction we're going in?
3: Well, uh, yeah. So so far, none of the Apple films have made it to theaters, correct? Because yeah. Greyhound... But that's partly due to the pandemic. Like, Greyhound yeah. might what have... Well,
4: Greyhound wasn't... Greyhound wouldn't have even been an Apple movie had it not been for the pandemic. Okay, yeah. gotcha.
3: Have they released any other movies? Um, They did the Beastie Boys documentary. They yeah. did... I feel like, yeah. really, just
4: this year, have they kind of ramped... I and mean, they, they had the series yeah. starting last year. Like the, Last year, they had, like, right. Morning Show and stuff like that. But I feel yeah, like yeah. just this year have the movies ramped up.
3: But this yeah. is what they do. These streaming services invest in talent, yeah. right? And they start luring people over. I thought... Did, what, Where'd Oprah go? I thought Oprah went to a big Oprah time Apple. service. She went to Apple also. Yeah. OK, so uh, they're investing in people who can bring creative projects. And so Scorsese is signing a first look deal.
4: I don't know who I've, I, I think I've yeah. gotten laughed at three times this year for for interview requests. Oh, and one of them was emailing Apple saying, hey, Oprah available. Can I chat with Oprah? And then when the last dance moved to Netflix, I reached out and said, hey, MJ available? Can I speak to MJ? <laughs> got, a, got, a, got a soft no on that. No and then luck, huh? uh, when the uh, Michelle Obama documentary came out, I reached out and said, hey,
5: <laughs> Michelle Obama available? No, Jake, Jake, where you went wrong is you, in the email, you should have said, I would invite Michael Jordan on for an interview, but I don't think he's good enough. Mm-hmm. And oh, then, and he, then would he would challenge yeah, you, yeah. come oh, on, and he would score 40 points nothing? on you. Through did Zoom? I learn
3: nothing from the last <laughs> <Yeah>. dance? <laughs> Instead, you got Tony Servoni, who's a big Jordan fan. Hey, hey, that that was was great. That was and
5: that 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 (laughs) still frame
3: that
4: you took of all of our faces. If you haven't seen this, watch it. The still frame that you took of all of our faces when he drew Bugs Bunny.
3: Yeah. Oh, that was great. It was was really great. That's pretty incredible. Uh, All right. And let's end talking points on a fun one. Um, The the blockbuster that's up in Oregon uh, that our own Kevin McCarthy took a trip to is now going to work as an Airbnb. But there's a lot of stipulations about this Uh, It's only doing it for three nights and then uh, one of you two was talking about this before the show. You have to live in the area? You have to live in to the Book city. Inn? Oh, the in town the city of, yeah. of Bend, Bend. To, Oregon. Bend, Yeah, you have to live in yeah. Bend. Bend, Oregon um, with that doesn't seem fair. Like this was a fun story until yeah. I realized yeah. all these these rules that they're putting yeah. on it.
4: But you can <laughs> yeah. stay it's like if the blend are... game. And then you realize like, oh, no, you can't choose that. And you have to choose this. And this is like, this, you know, like if you are to
3: able to book it, um, you can stay up all night and watch <laughs> as many movies as you want to watch. Essentially, like you have the run of the place on VHS. Yeah, but well, that's fine. Um, no, I don't
4: know if it's on VHS.
3: It should be that that's the way to do it. Yeah, that's what your yeah. blockbuster experience what, should what be. What would you want <laughs> Uh yeah okay what would you watch what would I put on first? Oh. In I the would put Airbnb.
4: Jaws on VHS.
5: Jaws. Oh, on if it was VHS, VHS yeah. you would
3: put Jaws. Yeah. I would do the uh, two no. oh, The two tape Titanic. I'll Ooh, that's on. a good one. Two
5: tape Titanic.
4: I, yeah, I think Titanic. I would take. I would do an, uh, an 80s slasher movie, maybe like uh, oh. Nightmare on Elm Street, or because there's something about like the VHS like name. shaking of the you know and something about you yeah. know the course correction. Yeah. Mixed with like eighty slasher movies that I feel like mm-hmm. just fits perfectly.
5: Yeah, I think I think the two tape. Wow, that's hard to say. The two tape Titanic was the last VHS tape we ever God, got. Do you remember I think when that, after that thing came to Blockbuster? It was all DVD. Do you remember
2: that?
4: Yeah. Oh, it was that huge. was insane. Oh, that was insane. Yeah.
3: Do you remember the crushing feeling you'd get when you go to a Blockbuster and the entire wall would be the movie that you wanted yeah. to see, but none it of them there. None of them had tapes behind
4: it. It, it was what's uh, <laughs> what's what's the, what's the um. What's the scientific term? The Schrodinger's cat. Like, like walking into Blockbuster was the Schrodinger's cat of entertainment. Like you yeah, walked yeah. in, and the movie you wanted was both there and not there. Yeah. Yes. Like you looked inside, <laughs> and you could right. not would K- know you would know until you, unless you opened the box. Yeah.
3: Uh, we used to talk at length about the movies that um, got their own wall.
4: You know, like Titanic. Titanic got multiple walls. Titanic oh, got yeah, the whole yeah. deal, and For not sure. just the wall. Do you remember they used to do uh, like giant wall-sized stickers? That they would put on the windows. And that's okay. how when you would know yeah. like, oh, like, a, like it will be like coming soon. For some yeah. reason, I remember like any given Sunday getting one of them. And, like, remember, and I really? remember like looking at me like, oh, look at all those famous. Because, because my parents didn't take me to see any given Sunday. I remember being like, look at all those famous people. That's a movie yeah, I need yeah. to see. I think that might have
3: that, been. That I think I was like maybe 10 or 11. That might have been my first Oliver Stone movie I ever saw. And now you've spoken to every single person in that movie, Jake. Yeah, you definitely have. Jamie Foxx yeah. this week. Yeah,
4: Jamie Foxx. Cameron Fox, Diaz, I'm sure. Cameron
3: Diaz. She did Junkers all the time.
4: Heard Oliver car Stone. With Oliver Stone, Al Pacino.
3: Yeah, you've gotten all of them.
4: Uh, Dennis Quaid. Wait. I've never gotten James Woods. That's fine. Well.
3: <laughs> You're okay. <laughs> That's just fine. Gabe, okay, what would you rent? You didn't say.
5: Uh, I would pick some sort of... Sl- I'd probably... If, especially if it's on VHS, Halloween.
4: Yeah, see, isn't it, isn't Halloween. as a slasher just yeah.
5: kind of like? Yeah, 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 I
4: almost don't. You sort of wish I, if if they redid because I know they're constantly remaking movies to make them like more crisp and more clear. But if they put mm-hmm. out a Blu-ray of like eighty slasher movies, but, mm-hmm. like, but they were like, devalued like, them VHS to tape? make them look like you were watching a, v, a VHS tape, I would buy that in a heartbeat.
3: Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. I would.
4: I would. And then like you know, like every you know every once in a while it's like um, what was it Grindhouse or there's like a reel
3: missing? Yeah. Hey, yeah. Oh, I love that. That would be cool. Yeah. All right. This week in movies, um, nothing on VHS, but the King of Staten Island is coming to, uh, you could buy it now. So the thing is uh, when it came around the first time through, through its VOD run, uh, it was a short-term rental. Now you're able to buy it on digital Uh, starting this week. It's going to be available to rent on Blu-ray and DVD starting on August 25th. And again, thank you to Judd Apatow for coming by and talking about uh, his film with Pete Davidson uh, the one and only Ivan is another film that was supposed to be making its way to theaters, but is now going to be going to Disney Plus. This is based on a very popular children's book, uh, and it stars Brian Cranston. And it and it's based on a true story. Oh, that I, I don't it. know. Is that from our?
5: From our junket. I, um, uh, that I do not know.
4: I, I I seem to have heard good things on Twitter, but, Mm -hmm. uh, the thing that, that bothers me is that I keep seeing the word like pulls on the hearts, like, like sad or pulls on the heartstrings. And anytime I hear the word sad associated with a movie that's about animals, yeah, I, yeah. G- I get real head. Like I just, I can't oh. do it, man. I can't, I can't do sad animal movies. Like it, 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 say, say what you want to about me. I can watch a movie like John Wick and watch people get obliterated. But I, I, have a, I can't, I, I can't put myself in a position watching like. Yeah, I, I, I can't. I can't do a Marley and Me, or I can't do. You know, I, I don't want to watch the gorilla die. I, I just, you know, or in, if if that's what happens in in the wild. But I, I do,
3: I do think this is a like a heart tugger. I think it is a story that's sort of aimed that way. Well, then I don't want. If- then,
4: then I, then I honestly, like I, I, I don't think I can watch it. I just don't do you still have um, disney plus or did you get rid of it no i still have it i buy oh, it yeah and i mean thank, you know because you watch I, hamilton yeah yeah and then right. uh, and and right right when it'll be time for me to be like screw this i like my my year-long subscription is up they'll be like hey mandalorian season two season two yeah, season which two is be all you
5: suckers
3: that bought a year-long subscription hey Dude, i just hey. bought a year
4: hey i, I can i, I can be. i can watch
3: episode two anytime i want I bought a year-long subscription oh. to DC Universe. I just renewed my DC Universe subscription, and now all these stories are coming out like, is this going to fold? Is this going to collapse? So you, get you get your money back? HBO Max now? Uh, well, I don't know. It's still going HBO, right HBO
4: Max, like, I have for free. Like, I, like, I don't pay for it. Yeah. Like, if, you have, if you
3: have a subscription to HBO, you should have HBO Max for free. Yes, you do have that. Yeah. Although I can't stream it on my Apple television. Not my Apple television. No, oh, my, you're um, okay. Cool. My, uh, or, uh, yeah, uh, Fire Stick. I have yeah. a Fire Stick.
4: Yeah, I have I the the apple tv i'm gonna really
3: need them to settle that sometimes it's pretty obnoxious uh and then the uh netflix film project power which i think jake and i are gonna um disagree on um i'll go first and tell you guys i thought this was i thought this was a lot of fun um i didn't think it was very smart and i think it had a great concept that it probably didn't fully utilize but i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna chalk that up to budget so the idea of project power is that in the not so distant future, there's a pill that you can take that gives you a superpower uh, for five straight minutes, but you don't know what your power is going to be. Um, some people turn invisible. Some people turn elastic. One guy bursts into flames in a human torch style. Uh, Joseph Gordon. I, was say, Lovett, I think
5: you just described, uh, the fantastic. <laughs> the fantastic Four, yeah.
3: Yes. <laughs> uh, Joseph Gordon. Lovett is like Superman. He has the power of Superman. He's essentially indestructible. Um, And I waited for a scene throughout the entire movie, and this is going to be a bit of a spoiler, I suppose, but I waited for a scene where like a ton of people took the pill at once and you just got to see like a whole super powered like WWE type fight and it never happened. Um, But I liked the characters a lot. I like Jamie Foxx is playing an ex-soldier who's trying to track his kidnapped daughter and he's got to work his way up through the uh, distribution chain of people who are dealing drugs that puts him in Contact with Dominique Fishback, uh, who's a girl who is peddling the drug, and then Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays a cop in New Orleans who wants to use the pills to give himself power so that he can fight back against the criminals who are essentially abusing it. A lot of really good ideas, I thought. Um, some cool execution. There's a, I thought there was a great action set piece in the middle, uh, which is a Mexican standoff kind of thing that then devolved into a multi-person shootout. And I really liked the way that that was staged and filmed, but then I I'll admit that I think the thing sort of lost its energy, uh, halfway through and, um, didn't go to n- nearly the amount of creative places that I was expecting, but still I'm giving it a pass because I like the actors. I liked the concept and I thought the execution was fun enough that I had a good time with it. But you didn't care for it as much.
4: I didn't. I, I'm, I'm with you in that I think it's, it's a really interesting idea. And this is one of those movies that, you know, people always sort of like they always like remake good movies. Like, why are you remaking movies that were already good? Like, this is yeah. a, a really interesting idea that, like, I wouldn't be necessarily opposed to if someone wanted to remake this in 20 years. And like, because it's a great idea. And somewhere within this idea, you should be able to make something interesting. It yeah. just felt aimless to me. Like it just sort of felt like they had they came up with this idea and just sort of went like well just throw the characters in there like well like it'll figure itself out yeah. like I like I, even like by ha- by the halfway point when I texted you guys like guys does this get I, I texted the gang saying hey does this get any better I, I was just sort of like where is this going like what, what what is where what is the point of this like I get other than the the interesting idea what is the point of this movie yeah. um, I didn't particularly care about any of the characters I kind of felt like uh, every despite the fact that it's a really great cast. Everyone seemed to be just kind of phoning it in Um, everyone. You know, it was within the the very easy wheelhouse for a lot of these. Um, I didn't feel like any of the people were as charming or as talented as, as we've seen them be before. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't, and it wasn't a fun watch for me. It was a great idea that like just fizzled out. Like it it started up here and just, just kept going. The stock just kept going down. And by the end of the movie, I was like, I'm done. I'm out. A
5: question on the concept. So is it each time they take a pill, they get a random power or you just get a single power and you just every time you take the pill, you get that power?
3: The latter. You mm. get the same power over and over again.
5: Okay, but you don't know what you're going to get until you yeah, take it. Correct. Okay.
3: Um, and cool. for some people, the power is like one guy takes it for the first time and he just explodes. And then that's oh, it. Fuck. Yeah. So there yeah. is a gamble yeah. <laughs> that might happen, yeah. um, but more often than not, it works out in your favor. I found this to be fairly interesting. The co-director's are Henry Joost and Ariel Shulman. And they broke on the scene a while ago with Catfish. They're the two guys who... Um, oh, it's those guys? Oh, wait, wait. Neve Shulman? Uh, Ariel Shulman. Um, oh, his which, brother, who does the brother. show with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Those interesting. are the two guys oh. who directed this. And I sort
4: I, of feel like... And, and it's interesting because I feel like they're similar genre movies that both came out recently within Netflix. I put this in sort of the old guard tech category. Mm-hmm. We're like, really interesting premise but a very bland execution despite the fact that the people on screen are incredibly talented. Like well, both old guard and project power extraction, should have been us, infinitely better extraction
3: can, as well. You can argue extraction falls a little bit into that. Yeah. Really talented folks who maybe just fell a little bit short of yeah. what they could do.
5: Is it a, do you think it's a, is it a budget thing? Does it feel like yeah. it's just, they're not, they're just not given the,
4: I think so. A block. I like don't know. I, 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 I mean, we've seen incredible stuff. I mean, look at host. Like, we've seen incredible stories come out of movies that cost nothing. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: I just mean, I guess, from the. the those are very, like, action based. I think when you get into action, it's like, that's just. But the action doesn't mean expensive.
4: anything if the, st- if the story itself is not there. Totally. Like, like, the, the, totally like the action in Old Guard was incredible. Like, there's some really great I, fight sequences. I, st- I still but that's haven't such finished it. A lame movie.
3: <laughs> yeah, that says volumes. Games like I yeah. haven't even finished it yet. Yeah. It's just sitting there yeah, on Netflix.
4: Just,
3: yeah. Waiting for you. It literally would cost you nothing to finish it. His time. It would be his his time. time.
5: It's pretty valuable.
3: (laughs) All right. Uh, That brings us to this week's blend game. Uh, We are going to play hashtag Regina King blend, where we're celebrating the accomplishments of the wonderful Regina King. And of course, with Gabe sitting in the third chair, I'm starting with you, sir. Oh,
5: okay. So my pick was... Was super easy. I don't like doing these. I'm not big on like favorites and bests and stuff. I just you know I have to I have to choose my babies. This is like whatever, a staple. Like- you
4: mean, this is a staple of the show. What do you mean you're not <laughs> a big fan of you guys?
5: He doesn't like it. Wasn't this you your idea? <laughs> yeah, for you guys. Yeah, that's a, that's the fun of producing. I'm like, hey, what if you guys did this? Um, but even though it's recent, someone actually I did see someone on Twitter that almost changed my mind because I hadn't considered it, and it was her in the leftovers. I forget her character's name mm. in the leftovers. It's great in the leftovers. Um, and I just love that show. Jake obviously turned us on to that mm-hmm. fantastic show. And she is great in it, but she is even better in Watchmen. Mm-hmm. I think her role in Watchmen, and this is maybe, you know, we talk about opening per, uh, uh, performances up to, to television, and this is maybe where they get the little bit of the unfair advantage because there's just so much more screen time and opportunity for them to work on the character than in a, you know, 90 minute movie. But the way her character develops and the way that she continues to play uh that character as her mystery sort of unfolds, just it keeps getting more interesting, keeps getting better. I think the first standout moment for me was whenever she pours the coffee out with uh, the Silk Specter. She's like trying to, she's like trying to interrogate her kind of thing, and then you just she immediately just changes and is like, I, I'm not taking your bullshit, mm-hmm. and that really showed. She she was able to balance between being a badass, being an action star, being this loving mother and then being this extremely strong partner with uh yaya's character and that whole arc i think from beginning to end to the very last frame of it is um impressive and one of my new favorite tv shows ever and it's and we're never gonna get another
4: lindelof, one which i okay yeah so good it's <laughs> so good
3: and she's she's just amazing whenever so, she
4: pairs up with little Lind- because lindelof was leftovers too
3: yeah I, exactly i also went with watchman um I, and I want to throw love to Marcy Sidwell, which is her character that she played in Jerry Maguire. Yeah, and when that was,
4: yeah, I was thinking about that. I mean, it wouldn't have topped Watchmen, but that's what I was thinking
3: too. So when looking back over her career, I realized that part of the reason why I want to go with Watchmen is because it feels like, although it's a huge ensemble, and, but it felt like a project that was tailored to her. You know, like mm-hmm. she's arguably the lead, um, even though there are a ton of characters that are right at her level essentially throughout it, but she owns the material. In such a way. And and with Jerry Maguire or with um I think she's a blast opposite Sandra Bullock in the second um the hell's that Beauty Queen movie that's that she's Miss in a miscongenuality. Yeah. She's a her, She's and she's a blast. She's so much fun in it. Um I think she stands out when she is, you know, in a smaller supporting part. She dominates. I love Watchmen because it finally let her show everything that she's capable of doing. And I don't really like to go with something that's so recent because she's been working mm-hmm. forever and has been doing so much stuff, but she's so dominant in Watchmen, she's so fantastic in it. And that is the type of of storytelling that it's so rich in mythology that you could easily get lost if you don't have um, a focal point to invest in. And I think that her journey through it becomes the audience's lifeline um, through what can be really dense a really dense narrative. And it's a, it's a extremely difficult point to pull off. Like even just to throw back to project power for a second, um, Rodrigo Santoro is the villain in that movie. And I got a chance to interview him for the junket. And we talked a bit about Westworld and we talked a bit about, um, how he protects spoilers from people, uh, who might approach him for Westworld because he doesn't even know where they are at in the show. And he essentially says that the, they don't tell the actors much. Like the actors play what they are given, but they don't know the whole mythology. And one time he got to go to Comic-Con and a fan like floated a theory past him. And Rodrigo was like, tell me more, because that's really fascinating. Like, I want to hear more of that. And I think that um, I would bet Regina King doesn't didn't know a ton about Watchmen, but she never comes across that way. Like she makes it feel like she owns every bit of the story and knows exactly where it's going, even though you can never guess where that story is going. It's so unpredictable. Yeah, um, that's that's what I love about. Uh, and you
5: know, you can argue that's the way she's her character is written. But I love that about her characters. Every time there's a twist, every time that we are revealed to something new, she's not phased by it at all. Yeah. and she and Regina King is the the person to hire if you want. play that she's just so calm and collected through the whole thing it's great so i had to go with watchmen i also chose watchmen Watchmen. (laughs) yeah i I also chose watchmen Um, for a lot
4: of the reasons that you guys said um but in a in a ensemble cast that good which features you know uh you know jeremy irons and Gene smart and you know uh, just so many people usually with an ensemble that big Usually there's like one or two people that like you're sort of like whenever it cuts to them, you're like, OK, come on. Like, let's just get through this so I can yeah. get to yeah. um, one. There was no one like that in that ensemble. But if anything, I kept finding myself wanting to like get back to her um, just because I didn't really know what was going on. And I kind of felt like she was like my tether to mm-hmm. this like otherworldly reality. Um, and also, I feel like her I have not re. I really want to. I want to give it some time. And then I, I wanna rewatch it from the beginning, knowing everything that I know, because there's a lot of stuff that we don't realize, we don't find out until episode two, three, four, five, six.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. And but but there's some things that she knows that we don't know. And I wanna go back. I feel like her performance will be the one that changes the most and I realize the more more about Upon rewatch, I feel Mm -hmm. like which which to me is an incredible talent to 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 basically give two performances at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you've talked about this, Sean, in in interviews that you've done. The performance that you give upon first watch, and then the performance that you give upon uh, subsequent Mm -hmm. watches. Mm -hmm. And I feel like she's the one that really gives that in this show. And I, I can't wait to like really watch her when certain lines are delivered or when certain moments happen to see, oh, wait, how is she reacting to this? Because she yeah. kind of already knew this or, or, or is keeping this a secret or, you know, one way or the other. Right. you know, Or what she
5: knows is just so much more important yes. than whatever yes. someone else's problem is. Yeah. She just
4: doesn't give a shit.
3: Yeah. To come back around to that Steve Carell movie, the John Stewart movie, Irresistible, which I thought got criminally overlooked this year. Like when I watched it the second you time through. You really
4: like, like way more so than
3: everybody else. Oh my God. When you go back through and watch what everyone else is playing once the reveal of that movie is given. It's I thought it was a completely different movie. I, I loved it. Yeah. I think I went back and looked at the box office and it made like $60,000 total. Oh, Jesus. Which God. is really Sean, sad. Will
4: you give a quick just because um, I, I annoyed you until you watched it. Will you give a quick review of host just because I know I was the one that was talking about it. Oh, yeah. All weekend and you finally got to see it. I would just love to get your thoughts on it. It's great.
3: <laughs> and um, we, I watched it. Cause I also got a shutter invite uh, like you did with a screening link to it. And I put it on my computer in the middle of the day and I told Jake, I texted him. I was like, yeah, I'm going to give host a try. And he was, he kind of warned me off, off the bat. He was like, wait till the evening, watch it in the dark. And I was like, I, I just don't have time for that. Like stop, you know, we, it's too much going on.
5: It's like a 58, it's 56 video minutes like? long. It's so, short. 56. <laughs> it's so short,
3: but 20 minutes into it, which is, it's, I mean, it's, it's set up. It's a lot of up, but like, But not, yeah. not in a wasted way, kind of way. Like, you just get to know the characters.
4: And a, lot, and a lot of stuff that ends up paying off later. It too. does. I was gonna say, it just Absolutely. gets you there kind of thing.
3: But, it, but there is a definite moment where I felt like, okay, I can stop this now because the wild stuff hasn't necessarily happened yet. Um, and I know Michelle will want to watch this. And it's short. It, and she, but she doesn't love horror. So that night, we, uh, I pulled it up on the television and watched it. First off, all the girls are great. Their, their, um, interactions, I would, I convinced their lifelong friends. Um, they, cause the, the little asides that you have in a zoom chat mm-hmm. are just really funny. Yeah. Like they're, they're funny. A the lot way of them worked
4: together in the past before.
3: Oh, for real? Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And, um, there's just a bunch of great surprises. There's a bunch of real in a, in a, what seems like a gimmick of a seance on a zoom, uh, really, really pays off and there are there's a there's certain characters that show up early and then disappear and they come back there's really great practical horror um stunt effects and there's just as simple as and it's stupid because there's there's moments where characters get up and move around and they turn their cameras so that you're looking a certain way. And people wouldn't do that. Like right. we all I'd said to Michelle multiple times, like, OK, well, we would have stopped recording about yeah. it at this point now. But like something is stupid and simple. If They show you the layout of one girl's apartment. And then later in the movie, they have to turn it and she's walking through the apartment and you know exactly where she is. So, you know, that like there's a bathroom on the side and her bedrooms up ahead but it's pitch dark and it's yeah. only lit by her laptop and you're watching her go through and, you, and you, you're basically saying to her, yeah. like, stop walking, stop walking. I don't want to see where you're going. <laughs> and,
4: and it's also so timely in that there are things that six months, maybe not six months, how long we've we been in quarantine, like eight months ago, yeah. I would have been like, wait, I don't really get. And, and uh, the thing I'm pointing out is uh, the fake Zoom background that people use as jokes, where a lot of times people record oh, videos of themselves. Yes. And like have it as a fake almost like a screensaver on Zoom. They mm-hmm. utilize that in such a brilliant way. They really do. Which really kind of shows like how much they took this moment yep. of, w- of where we're at in society right now and thought, like, what can we do? with? It? it felt so timely. I don't know how... I think maybe my only concern is like how well is it going to age? Like are, are people going to get this in 20 yeah. years? But, but again,
3: who cares? It works for now. Fair.
4: Oh, yeah. I'm so glad you yeah. liked it. So glad.
3: There is a sequence... What, what I'll tell you what to do is even in 56 minutes, the movie takes its time. There's a sequence where a girl is going to explore um, a sound in her attic. And from the minute that she indicates that she's potentially going to go in her attic, you as an audience member is just like, nope. Don't even think about it. And the movie takes a good five minutes for her to put the laptop down reach up for the thing pull mm-hmm. the steps down and every sound that happens over the course of the sequence you're just like nope don't Sean, you did text <laughs> the group not. multiple
4: times i think yeah. the word
3: no <laughs> multiple times yeah so it was really really effective yeah. um and goes to show again that some of the best horror is just low yeah. budget uh but makes you yeah. Well, think psychologically them, yeah. 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 yeah gabe yeah. did yeah. you see it
5: no 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 i'll watch it this weekend i'm <sighs> moving this week and i'm really excited um, it's 56 minutes gabe it's a lot of time what, what do you mean I'm moving you gotta, I gotta move you, I gotta pack you, you can't you can't you can't take a
4: 56 minute break yeah I have to do it evening too well no like what, I was hour hour at is, what I was getting at is
5: what I was getting at is I'm more excited to watch Ooh. it in my new Ooh. I have like Ooh, several in your big, empty that house. that could have demons yeah. in it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it
3: probably does we don't want to jump too far forward because Kevin recorded a blend game um, yeah. we hope the tangent of tangent. if it happens so this is Kevin's pick for hashtag Regina King blend and on the other side of this we'll have our pick for next week so Kev take it away
2: All right, hey fellas, Uh, so this is going to be a bit of a recency effect thing for me specifically. Uh, Lauren and I just finished watching the nine episodes of Watchmen, so for Regina Kingblen, I'm going to... Obviously go with with Watchmen only because it's the most recent thing I saw from her, but it's also the best thing I've ever seen her involved in, especially episode eight of the series or the the season one. Hopefully they won't do more. But episode eight specifically was the one where the Dr. Manhattan reveal uh, the specific moment where, you know, her and Dr. Manhattan are at the bar together and then the time dialogue specifically about how he's centering his story about where they are in their relationship and her dialogue. Um, on that particular end in that particular scene is just masterful. Uh, the way she carries herself in the show. I love the way she walks, the character walks. Um, it's a beautiful character because there's so many layers to her specifically that she captures in such a subtlety but yet such a badass way. Um, you know, she's a, she's a mother taking care of three kids who aren't hers or weren't hers to begin with. And the idea of that protection, but also fighting for what she believes in, the storyline with her father, uh, the Will Reeves character. I mean, it really is just a masterful show. And Damon Lindelof, obviously I know Jake, is obsessed with Lost. But for me, this was the perfect vehicle for, uh, for Re- Regina King to really have a performance that I think is the centerpiece of her entire career. I think it completely encapsulates everything she's amazing at as an actor, um, from comedy to drama. The way she delivers her dialogue uh, in these sequences is just perfection, and I found her to be absolutely stunningly brilliant uh, in the show. And episode eight was the was the really the episode that really solidified it for me. Uh, for people who haven't seen it, uh, when episode nine happens, you get even more of her emotional arc, specifically. But the whole show is centered around her story. Her story and her grandfather's story and that entire Dr. Manhattan reveal was just mind-blowing to me. For me, it was just it was this was an easy pick only because it was something I just recently watched. I watched all nine episodes in a matter of two to three days with Lauren. My parents are watching it now because I told them how great it was. I know Jake was uh, on this bandwagon uh, way, way earlier on. But for me, uh, you know, I loved her in Beale Street as well. I think, you know, uh, her performance in Beale Street, which, which she won the Oscar for, was extraordinary. Um, you know, we all know that there's a scene in Beale Street, which I think you know won her the Oscar specifically because it was so emotional. But Watchmen gives her the capability of having a nine episode arc, uh, and she gets to take time with the character and breathe with the character. And I found that to be such a luxury as an audience member uh, watching her perform in Watchmen. And I just, it, it, to me, it was it was it was cool to see someone bring that. ...type of brilliant acting to a quote-unquote superhero element of a universe. And this is a show that's rooted in in elements of nonfiction, obviously with Tulsa. And there's so many elements to it that are real mixed in with the fiction. And I always find those particular stories to be so fascinating because you have a grounded character like her character... In the middle of this entire universe and scope with so many different other performances happening around it. Jeremy Irons is across the universe. You know what I mean? And so all these different performances all come together and have to work to get that finality at the end of the at the end of episode nine. And you know, for actors and characters who don't really share screens together to keep everything intact. And I know that's probably more on the director's side and the writer's side. But to be able to have that focused through line um, is a really hard thing to do for an actor. Specifically, think about Regina King uh, specifically and and having to act across or act uh, not really in scenes with other actors like Jeremy Irons until later on specifically. But I, I found it to be just a really, truly amazing performance. And I think for me, it's definitely my favorite performance of hers. Watchmen.
3: Yes. Okay, so we got to do audience picks for Regina King blend where we had Jeff uh, Mammon. Oh, look at this. Jeff Mammon said Southland and Jenna Mammon. So the Mammon's are playing along on the blend game this week, uh, said her role as Margie, Margie Hendricks in Ray. See, I totally forgot she's in Ray. Wow. Wow. Um, She's just very good. Paul Marsh, Indy Christina and Carrie Case all said Jerry Maguire. Uh, Michael Breen has her on the short list of the best. Most versatile actors and picked Watchmen. And then Chris Folk went with season two of The Leftovers. Did no one
4: pick Beale Street?
3: No one picked Beale Street. Someone might have. I might just
5: not have caught it. I'm sure someone.
3: It's another great role. Her Oscar winning role. Yeah. Yes. Although I think she was overdue. She's one of those actors that I think, but she's terrific in Beale Street. Um, So much participation again. Thank you guys very much. Next week, you can reach out on Twitter. Oh, Gabe, uh, Jake, you can tell him this next week we're playing hashtag russell crow blend hey uh so you can let us know your pick oh, via that's email hard at real blend yeah. at cinema com. you can use it on social media hashtag russell crow blend he's oh. two l's two s is two l's i'm really gonna have to differentiate the, between favorite and best with him and crow with an e i think this is forcing me to rewatch la confidential this week which is damn totally damn. fun amanda totally and i just rewatched fun. gladiator I don't like Gladiator. You don't like Gladiator. I don't like Gladiator. Who no. are you? I don't really like Gladiator all that much. Although to be—is it the part fair, where he
5: decides to run across Italy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just felt like running.
3: <laughs> um, I've only seen Gladiator once, so I probably should revisit oh, it. Oh,
4: dude! And seriously, yeah. how did I don't understand? Because because Gladiator obviously won Best Picture, but lost director. Yeah. How, did, how did Ridley Scott lose it's director? Because
5: mm, it's not that good. What, what won that year?
4: Oh, uh, S- uh, Soderbergh won for Traffic.
5: Okay. Oh, uh, wasn't Traffic? Traffic was the big, like, this is uh, the- I, I
4: think Gladiator, was Gladiator an upset winning Best Picture? Eh, it was really popular. It came out in May. Yeah.
3: It was really popular and very well respected. It got nominated for a ton of yeah. shit, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Joaquin, friend yeah. of the show. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. I will rewatch Gladiator sometime soon because I do. It, oh. I know everybody loves it. It yeah. just didn't. I, was, Insider, I haven't seen it in a long oh time, but I
4: don't. Yeah. Yeah. Insider. Uh, beautiful Mind. Master and Commander.
3: Uh, Insider's terrific. Cinderella and Master Man. Commanders. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a really tough one. Yeah. So. I like Russell Blend. Click that in the Blend. Clicking the Reviews for this week. Um, Kev's dad. Uh, the the well, No, I'm sorry. Someone named Blender78 wrote a review titled Kev's dad or Kevin dad. Kevin dad. It just says. Some, I think meant Kevin's dad. Someone but. needs uh, punctuation in there. Kevin's dad does. And they scream off with uh, Dunkirk. Dunkirk with an exclamation point. Release the Snyder cut with an exclamation point. It's, just, Blend- it's just just, hot words. <laughs> just words that get us going. Yeah. Uh, Real Blend is so much more than just four friends, if you include Gabe, since he finally talks after 120 <laughs> episodes. Uh, I'm here. Playing <laughs> <If you> do- <laughs> two are right and one is wrong. That's true. We do often play two are right and one is wrong. Yeah. Not on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Real Blend is but a podcast that, that I make sure as soon as a new episode drops, whether it be a video or an audio to watch it or listen to it because they have their own spin and own style and a ton of can't-miss interviews and behind-the-scenes looks into movies and TV shows. From Sean's stories to Jake's sarcasm about quitting every other episode. and Kevin I I haven't done that out. in a while. No, you've been enjoying yourself here. I, I think I it's been like far. two episodes. I didn't say <laughs> that. I just said I, I think haven't. You might have quit. quit on the last
4: premium
5: episode. Well, he quit uh, on the
3: first premium episode. First premium, for sure. So yeah. Ah, yes.
4: uh, well, you see,
3: see, see what you get. That's, if you, you gotta, pay that five bucks a month, got to come over and join us to hear. You Jay get some. Quiddick. You get the goods. Uh, let's see. Ten. Kevin geeking out at film grains and how the score <laughs> is a leading category and his amazing puns. Amazing puns. He says, uh, "I can't not thank you enough for creating this. You guys are all." One of a kind. Well, thank you, Blenders78, who called this thing Kevin's dad. Uh, Speaking of the Blenders, I want to point out as well, too, um, that we have that Reddit thread that a bunch of Blenders started. Well, subreddit. Subreddit, Subreddit, yes, thank you. Mm. And they are going to do on Thursday night, so if you hear this, you might want to look into it. They're going to do a viewing party of Scott Pilgrim versus The World. Oh, um, because tomorrow is the 10th anniversary. To coincide with that. Yes, they are. And so a group has gotten together. And then... Prior to I did that, that uh, the Netflix, uh, no, the Facebook Blunder community uh, was led by Arthur uh, Mingo, who did a screening of Uncorked. So all of a sudden, um, our Blunder families are putting together these really cool screenings. Doing series. stuff without us. Yes. Well, I miss being able to do meetups like that. Was always fun. What,
4: what's what's like the next big episode that we would quote unquote do something for? One fifty. could do like a one
3: fifty, like
5: a quarantine meetup. you try to figure out like a. I would like online. to do that, like a Zoom no, no, type yeah. quarantine
3: meetup. Talk later. Anyway, yes. You know what you're going to find out about We're that. We're going to commit to it right now. You will yeah, hear tomorrow. about it in the bi-weekly newsletter that's part of your Real Blend Premium subscription. Did you one of those yet? Membership uh, Friday. Friday, the first one is going out Ooh, Friday. I wrote I it the other it. day, and I'm really excited by it. I had a really good topic. It to uh, no, um, I swear to God,
4: if the topic is released the Snyder Cut. <laughs> I'm, I'm, del- I'm hitting delete
3: immediately it's, uh, it's why kill bill is two movies uh, no <laughs>
5: it's not, it's oh. not. <laughs> that would be pretty funny i enough. guess you
3: could go ahead and go ahead and tease it go ahead and tease it that's a good uh um, good time to tease what you're doing well so the the uh newsletter is going to have a story that i find uh interesting some type of topic that i want to comment on then um and in case you missed it section where we pull out some interesting stories and then a um a film recommendation that I see is on streaming service, I think the blenders would like. This week to kick it off, I uh, discussed how I started to read Dune and then stopped. And I'll tell you in the newsletter why I stopped. Um so it's about Dune. And then um, well, I don't want to give away the streaming. Uh you'll, you'll, yeah, find out. you'll get a couple. You'll find yeah. out what the streaming recommendation is when you get the newsletter, yeah. which is coming out. So if you want to get in on the Real Blend premium subscription for $5 a month, you go to bit.ly backslash. Real blend premium and join uh, some of the amazing people that have been sponsoring the show or uh, looking for additional content. So until next week, uh, you guys can follow us, obviously, on social media at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV and at Sean underscore O'Connell. Gabe, your Twitter feed is at Gabe Kovach.
5: See it underneath me if you're in the video
3: at Gabe Kovach. Um, Drop us a review and we will read it on the show and tune in next week and also give us feedback on the uh, Judd Apatow episode i'm curious we got to sure think. so until then uh, i guess what kevin's I... not here what do we do uh dunkirk dunkirk Don,
0: dunkirk. dunkirk dunkirk come back kevin <laughs> <laughs>